welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolich. Welcome back to another episode of First Incision. It's time for our team timeout. We are moving into the colorectal module from the general surgical curriculum, and I'm excited to say that today we are doing anatomy and physiology of the colon, rectum, and anal canal. Those who know me know that I love anatomy, so let's get right into it. So in general, the colon and rectum are continuations of the gastrointestinal tract with both mid-gut and hind-gut components. They're distinguished from the small bowel as they have a saccular appearance due to the haustra, which is formed due to the condensed outer longitudinal muscle layer, which forms three bands. The inner circular muscle layer is present as well as an inner mucosal layer. The Colon also has appendices epiploicae, which are a series of fatty appendages usually found on the anti-mesenteric border. The colon has a number of components. It starts at the cecum, which is the area of bowel inferior to the ileocecal um, junction. The cecum then turns into the ascending colon, and typically the ascending colon is considered retroperitoneal. This then goes up to the hepatic flexure and turns into the transverse colon, which is free on the transverse mesocolon and is an intraperitoneal component. This then travels to the splenic flexure, and it's at the junction between about two-thirds of the way along the transverse colon to one-third of the way um, towards the splenic flexure that the midgut turns into the hindgut. The splenic flexure then goes into the descending colon, which travels down the left side of the abdomen and again is retroperitoneal. The sigmoid colon begins um, once it is uh, intraperitoneal again on the sigmoid mesentery, and then this then turns into the rectum. The rectum really starts from the sacral promontory and extends to the levator ani and sort of starts where the tinea um, bands or the, the condensed bands of the outer longitudinal muscle layer, the tinea coli, begin to coalesce back into a continuous outer longitudinal muscle layer. The rectum is approximately 12 to 15 centimetres in length. It has three lateral curves. The upper part goes to the right, the middle to the left, and the lower to the right. And the internal aspect of these is the valves of Houston. The peritoneal reflections are that the proximal one-third of the rectum is covered anteriorly and laterally by peritoneum, the middle third just anteriorly, and the distal third is completely extraperitoneal. An important component to talk about when we talk about the rectal anatomy is the mesorectum, which is a layer of fat around the outside of the rectum, which is contained by the um, mesorectal fascia. And this contains the arteries, blood supply, lymphatics, and nodes of the rectum. And basically, it's continuous with the sigmoid mesentery um, and peters out distally just before the levator muscles. 
couple of other things to mention uh, is the Waldire fascia, um, which is posterior to the rectum. It's a strong fascia that overlies the sacrum and the coccyx, and also Denonvillea's fascia, which is anterior to the rectum in men and separates um, the rectum from the seminal vesicles and the prostate. Um, the fascia in women is less well-defined. There are folds of tissue as well laterally that um, contain the middle rectal vessels and constitute the lateral ligaments of the rectum. Moving on now to blood supply of the colon. The cecum, ascending colon, and two-thirds of the transverse colon are supplied by branches of the superior mesenteric artery as they are mid-gut structures. The cecum is supplied by the ileocolic, the ascending colon by the right colic, and the transverse colon by the middle colic branches of the SMA. The cecum is supplied by anterior and posterior cecal vessels off the ileocolic artery, and the artery to the appendix usually comes off the posterior cecal artery. The splenic flexure, as well as descending colon and sigmoid, are supplied and upper rectum, sorry, are supplied by the inferior mesenteric artery as these are now hind gut structures. The branches of the inferior mesenteric artery include the left colic, sigmoid branches, and then it terminates as the superior rectal artery. There is a anastomosing sort of arterial circle that runs around the marginal aspect of the bowel. This is called the marginal artery, and this is what we rely upon when performing anastomosis. In addition, there is often described an arc of riolin or um, meandering artery of Moskowitz, which is basically a anastomosis between the superior and inferior mesenteric arteries. So it's sort of a named anastomosis. The venous drainage of the colon follows the arterial supply. So the venous drainage of the cecum ascending colon and proximal two-thirds of the transverse colon will drain into veins that then go back into the superior mesenteric vein. And the descending colon, sigmoid and upper rectum are drained into the inferior mesenteric vein. The inferior mesenteric vein will often need to be found, especially during left-sided resections, and a landmark for this can be the um, DJ flexure, where it's often found to the left side prior to traversing underneath the uh, tail of the pancreas, where it joins into the splenic vein. And the SMV is usually found slightly anterior and to the right of the superior mesenteric artery in the um, small bowel mesentery. Uh, it can be found going posterior to the third part of the duodenum, and this joins into the splenic vein to create the portal vein confluence. Lymph drainage of the colon follows the blood vessels, so this is to either the superior or inferior mesenteric nodes. The blood supply to the rectum is, as mentioned, from the superior rectal artery, it also has um, middle rectal arteries, which arise from the internal pudendal artery, as well as the inferior rectal arteries, which are branches from the internal iliac arteries um, and comes off the pudendal arteries. Venous drainage of the rectum is through a internal rectal venous plexus, which is in the submucosa. And again, drainage corresponds to the arteries, so it will either drain to the inferior mesenteric vein which will be mostly from the um, upper rectum and the lower part of the rectum and upper part of the anal canal can also drain into 
external iliac veins. And this is a a place of portosystemic anastomosis. Lymphatic drainage, again, for the rectum will follow the regional arteries. So mostly um, this is into the mesorectum and then back up the inferior mesenteric artery nodal stations. But you can also get lateral pelvic sidewall nodal involvement um, for quite distal tumors that are going to drain with the um, internal external iliac arteries. So moving on now to the nerve supply of the colon and rectum. The colon up until the distal two-thirds of the transverse colon is a midgut structure, as I've mentioned. It's supplied by parasympathetic branches from the vagus nerves up until that point. From the distal third of the transverse colon, the parasympathetic supply instead comes from the um, pelvic splanchnic nerve. The pelvic splanchnic nerves come from the S2 and S3 nerve roots. These nerves are also called the nervi erigentes, and they anastomose together to form the inferior hypogastric plexus from which they are then distributed to pelvic viscera. And some fibers will also pass upwards um, to the superior hypogastric plexus um, and also to the inferior mesenteric artery to supply the large intestine from the splenic flexure downwards. The nervi erigentes or these um, parasympathetic splanchnic nerves are at risk during lateral dissection in the pelvis near the pelvic plexus um, as well as during anterolateral dissection deep in the pelvis especially when mobilizing the rectum from the seminal vesicles and the prostate. Moving on now to the sympathetic supply of the colon and rectum. The midgut is supplied by the greater, lesser and least splanchnic nerves, which um, come from the lower 7 to 8 thoracic sympathetic ganglia. These nerves travel through the crus of the diaphragm before anastomosing in the celiac plexus and contributing to the um, Uh, basically the plexus of sympathetic fibers around the aorta, which is how they then travel down the vessels to supply the midgut. And the sympathetic supply to the hindgut and especially to the rectum comes from the superior hypogastric plexus, which is formed from sympathetic branches from the L1, 2 and 3 sympathetic trunk, which divides into two hypogastric nerves. These nerves then travel down into the pelvis and join the sacral parasympathetic nerves or the nervi erigentes in order to form the pelvic plexus. And these um, hypogastric nerves are at risk of injury during ligation of the inferior mesenteric artery and also during posterior rectal mobilization. Moving on to a little bit about the anal canal. So the anal canal is about two and a half to five centimeters in length. It's much longer in men than it is in women. And it begins at the levator ani and opens to the anal verge. The development of the anal canal involves um, breakdown of the anal membrane and is what is probably the pectinate line in the anal canal. 
And the difference in blood and nerve supply, um, as well as lymph drainage of the upper and lower parts of the anal canal, can be explained by the fact that the anal canal above the pectinate or dentate line is endodermal origin, and that the part below is of ectodermal origin. Another important feature of the anal canal is the anal sphincter muscle complex. So in general, there is an internal anal sphincter and an external anal sphincter. The internal anal sphincter is a thickened extension of the inner circular smooth muscle layer of the rectum. It's approximately five millimeters thick. And the external anal sphincter um, is a continuation superiorly of the puborectalis muscle, which blends with the longitudinal muscle fibers of the bowel wall. In the middle part, the external sphincter is attached to the tip of the coccyx at the back and to the perineal body by an extension of the anocotsageal ligament. And distally, um, there's a circular ring with the lower end curving inwards to lie below the lower end of the internal sphincter. Other features of the anal canal include the columns of morgagni, and these are mucosal folds above the dentate line. The dentate line itself, which can be explained, I guess, by the histology of the anal canal. So the upper part of the anal canal is columnar epithelium. And then there is a transition zone where the mucosa is both columnar and stratified squamous epithelium. And the distal border of this zone is the dentate or the pectinate line. And below this is the squamous epithelium of the external anal canal or the anoderm. In between the columns of morgagni or these folds are the anal crypts and into which drain the anal glands. And this is important when we're talking about cryptoglandular disease as um, part of the pathogenesis of perianal abscesses. In terms of the innervation of the anal canal, it has both sympathetic and parasympathetic innervation, as I've already discussed. The interesting things here, though, are regarding um, continence and the role of the sympathetic and parasympathetic innervation. So the internal sphincter is mostly smooth muscle and is mostly supplied by parasympathetics, and this contributes 70 to 80% of the resting tone of the sphincter complex and is important um, so you don't get leakage of stool um, in between defecation episodes. As I mentioned, this parasympathetic supply is via the pelvic splanchnic nerves. And so, um, as you can imagine, damage to those nerves can lead to um, leakage and incontinence. The external anal sphincter is mostly a skeletal muscle and is innervated by branches from the pudendal nerve. And this allows people to voluntarily squeeze the sphincter complex to defer defecation until a more socially acceptable time. The butendal nerve is also important in rectal sensation and important in the uh, rectoanal reflex, which is something that occurs as part of defecation. Um, so damage to that nerve can lead to incomplete sensing of a column of stool entering the rectum um, and therefore an inability to defecate, causing um, uh, fecal retention, especially in patients with neurological injuries. In terms of lymph drainage, the lower rectum drains via the superior rectal artery lymphatics and nodes. Um, the lymph from the anal canal above the dentate line will usually drain superiorly in the same way through the superior rectal vessels and inferior mesenteric 
uh, vessel nodes, and it can also drain through the ischioanal fossa um, to the internal iliac nodes. And it's important to be aware that lymph drainage from below the dentate line will actually drain to the inguinal nodes, and this is important when we're thinking about anal cancers. So I wanted to briefly go over the pelvic floor muscles. So basically the levator ani is much, much of what the pelvic floor is made up of. And this comprises three main muscles that form a kind of, um, I guess, sling across the pelvic floor. The first muscle is coccygeus or ischiococcygeus. And this comes from the ischial spine and attaches to the coccyx and the anococcygeal raphae. There's the levator ani, which is split up into pubococcygeus and iliococcygeus. Um, and their fibers arise again from the ischial spine, but along a line to the body of the pubis. And this line is called the white line or arcus tendineus. And this is basically a thickening of the fascia overlying the obturator muscle. The iliococcygeus part arises from the posterior half of this white line. Um, as well as the um, pelvic surface of the ischial spine and inserts into the side of the coccyx and the anococcygeal ligament and raphae. And the pubococcygeus part arises from the anterior half of that white line um, and is in, inserted into the coccyx and the anococcygeal ligament and raphae. Some of the more anterior fibers of the pubococcygeus will swing medially around the anorectal junction and join with fibers of the other side. Um, and this is called the puborectalis. And this sling causes an angulation of the rectum with the anus, which contributes to continence. The pelvic floor is supplied by perineal branches of S3 and S4, which enter the upper surface or superior surface of the muscle, um, as well as from the inferior rectal branch um, of the pudendal nerve, which supplies the external sphincter, um, as we have talked about. And the last thing I just wanted to mention in terms of um, anal anatomy is the fact that there's a few spaces that are important when we're talking about perianal sepsis. And this includes the intersphincteric space. So when I was talking about the anal sphincter complexes, the internal and external sphincter. I talked about how the external sphincter extends, uh, extends inferiorly below the internal sphincter. And therefore, there's a space that you can feel between the internal and external sphincter um, at that level. Um, and this is continuous with the supralevator space um, and sepsis can track up there. There's the ischioanal space, which is lateral to the external sphincter, um, bordered superiorly by the levator ani muscle. And this is um, a sort of fatty, fibrous space which can accommodate quite large abscesses. There's the superficial postanal space, which is posterior to the anal canal and in front of the coccyx. Um, and then there's the deep post-anal space, also known as the space of Courtney. And this is above the um, superficial post-anal space, deep to the anacoxygeal ligament, um, but below the levator ani muscle. And this is continuous laterally with that ischioanal space I mentioned, and that can lead to horseshoe abscesses. And it's worth, um, I guess, having a look at some pictures of these spaces just to get your head around 
where the abscesses and fistulas um, can track and extend. So that's it for me for anatomy and a little bit of physiology of the colon, rectum and the anal canal. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Remember to rate, review and subscribe so that other people can find the podcast. It's time to close up. Thanks for listening to First Incision. If you have any comments or feedback, send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying! <laughs>